What's up, everyone? I'm Katherine Rudder, and this is Life in the Fast Chain. For this episode, we are very lucky to have Tim Swanson from Post Oak Labs in the studio. Kevin Rudder from the research team will also join our chat to help facilitate some questions. And, of course, my best friend Todd is also back on talking about consensus last week. Let's get to it. Hey, Todd. Hey, Catherine. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastically well. That is amazing. Last week you were at consensus, so you must have also been doing fantastically well when you weren't uh, standing in lines. It kind of depends. This is the third consensus event, I think, uh, Mm -hmm. and so I've been to all three. And the rumor on Monday was that it was uh, about four times bigger than last year, around 8,400 people or something like that. What? Yes. It was, it was bust, uh, bursting at the seams. So I th- <laughs> I've never experienced having to wait in a line in order to wait in another line, but I got to experience that at consensus this year. <laughs> uh, I'll also, um, it'll be etched in my memory mostly from the smell in the afternoon from uh, the oh, overcrowding. Oh, goodness. Yes. It was quite uh, pungent. How <laughs> was the temperature in there? It was, there were very uh, diverse microclimates. It was extremely <laughs> hot and sweaty <laughs> and then freezing, uh, depending on where you were. Um, and lots of also lines to get into um, different panels and overcrowded conditions and the ones everyone wanted to go to. But otherwise, it was fantastic. It sounds fantastic. <laughs> so I arrived on Monday morning and uh, was greeted by a, a fake, quote unquote, astroturf protest outside. Oh, yeah. I heard a lot about that. Bankers against Bitcoin, I believe, yeah. which was uh, set up by, I think, a mining company. And also a uh, bunch of Lamborghinis, or as they say, yeah. Lambos, um, <laughs> outside. But I think all were rented. <laughs> so it set a, a pretty odd tone. And, and I, I think the theme for the whole uh, whole week is kind of, uh, maybe it was an industry that's kind of caught in between in some ways. Yeah. And... It, this is kind of like, it, but it, you know, it, the risk is this is kind of like, you know, that band you loved in college before they were popular. And now that they're popular, like, I don't listen to them anymore. <laughs> um, so maybe that's part of it. There's, you know, there's a lot of folks that maybe I've, I've known for a few years in the space and looking around at all the new faces and how many there are, uh, maybe it gets a, a little bit frustrating. But, you know, mm-hmm. it's also a signal, obviously, of the interest in, in the overall market. Um, it, you know, consensus in general is is probably... If I had to pick a number, you know, 85% crypto mm-hmm. um, and about 10, 15% on the enterprise side. And it was definitely apparent. There was also <laughs> some, the, one, of the, one of the more enjoyable things was, was wandering around the crowded hallways and, and hearing snippets of conversations. Oh, um, I'm sure. There was, uh, there was one gentleman who was uh, describing how he was doing uh, some ICOs. He's, he said, yeah, I'm doing two ICOs at once. The first will be my Series A. The second will be my Series B. I thought that was a really interesting way to raise money. Um, and then just people mumbling about raising 20 million here and there. Casually. Uh, casually, yeah, you know, what else. And uh, there was definitely that atmosphere, but it it, it 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 felt like there was a lot of interest in in potentially the wrong pockets of the market. Um, mm-hmm. I shouldn't say wrong. There was just an overwhelming amount of interest in certain areas. I mean, the amount of <laughs> The amount of stands that I saw for folks that are setting up crypto hedge funds or crypto research yeah. companies was staggering. Uh, but, you know, what are they all researching? What mm-hmm. are they? What, I mean, there's only so much uh, product that can be created in the short term for this to be to be useful. And the other sort of the the infrastructure side, even on the, um, this is on the crypto side, the infrastructure side 
still isn't there. And there, luckily, there's still a lot of very smart, very experienced people and organizations that are getting into that. But yeah. it's still maybe a little bit uh, carp before the horse. And uh, just on, on the ICO front, uh, if if you if you have a chance, take a look. The SEC put out a fake ICO website, uh, HowieCoin. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was extremely well done in a way where it, it really it hits all the high or I guess the low points of uh, what investors should be wary about when it comes to mm-hmm. ICOs. So you definitely check that out. It was, it was A1 trolling by the SEC. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Well, it seemed like a crazy, especially since it was totally oversubscribed. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do know there were a, a lot of amazing panels. You were on a panel. Yes. Um, that was a good one. Not, well, to, not to pump your tires. Well, thank you very much. Well, but <laughs> so just as a, a, to preface it, so uh, hopefully if we if we find an article that summarizes consensus mm-hmm. week, we will put it in the show notes. We will. But just as a as a as a warning to to the listeners out there, we won't be going over every announcement because there were dozens, maybe over a hundred announcements, um, and tons of different panels and discussions. And and as I mentioned, I couldn't get into a few that I wanted to, but. Uh, That's so funny. Yeah. So uh, a couple that were that stood out to me. One was massively entertaining, which was the the panel <laughs> with uh, Amber Baldé. I thought you were going to say my own. <laughs> no, <laughs> I was waiting for you to drop that one amazing one. Um, featured I'm myself. a little I'm a little insulted that you expected me to say <laughs> that. But, uh, understand- I thought we were on the same page. Understandable. Understandable. <laughs> Sorry. Anyways, yes. yes. Uh, the the panel with Amber, Jimmy, and Joe. Oh, you, oh, oh, first name basis. I know. I I once looked at Amber in person, so we're we're friends. <laughs> and, and this was I I can't remember. It was the first or second. I think it must have been the first day, and it was the end. Uh, it was almost yeah. the last. It was like five o'clock, and this massive ballroom, and it was kind of a little bit. It's hard to keep up the energy on a long day. And yeah. this was the morning where everyone would, someone, I heard some folks were waiting for three hours to get into the event. So oh. by five o'clock, there were some uh, grumpy people. Grumpy people, and the bar was not open yet. So tragic. <laughs> yes. And so, so Amber opened up uh, a bit of a kind of a fireside chat with, uh, as you mentioned, Jimmy Song, uh, who is from, uh, I think, Bitcoin Core Dev and also an investor in, in blockchain generally, and Joe Lubin. Mm-hmm. And the session immediately went sideways, um, but in a fantastically entertaining yeah. direction. And in some ways, I think you know Jimmy Song is my spirit animal with the way, how he was. He he, he came was out, funny. He was. He came out in a in a black hat. Yeah. Cowboy went for hat. It, and he went for it. Um, so I think there's a, a live stream, or they they have the videos that are going to be posted. Maybe they might yeah. be up by now. But yeah, they had a live stream, and then I think you can find them through that live stream. Yeah. So so watch it. so in essence, it started with Jimmy calling. Can I say bullshit on this podcast? Uh, calling BS uh, on uh, the the over exuberance of uh, blockchaining everything, and especially, I mean, his he was very much targeted at the enterprise use cases. So yeah. I obviously have a few bones to pick with him, but overall I have to respect his game up there. <laughs> yeah, it was going for it. And it got to the point where at the end, uh, Joe uh, challenged him to a bet, uh, basically uh, to name any amount of, of Bitcoin. And there was the, the best part was you could feel the entire ballroom crowd just sort of pause and go, oh, when he, when he <laughs> yeah. made that offer. Yeah, so They was, shook on it. Yeah, they did. Well, they did shake, but they, they hedged that a little bit by saying they would to find terms afterwards. So, so that yeah. was very, very uh, entertaining. Um, other than that, I, I did uh, co- go back on the Wednesday to check out Jack Dorsey, but 
I don't know. Mm-hmm. He was kind of boring. Um, maybe. That's Does not express the views of R3, just expresses the views of Don McDonald. <laughs> it was a little bit uh, low energy, low T. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's always, it, I thought it was interesting to hear their take of uh, what, their, what Square was doing in Bitcoin early on and how they came to it after the fact. And, and also how he said that internally there, there's still a lot of skeptical folks around uh, in Bitcoin in general, which I think is a very mm-hmm. healthy thing. And yeah. There was, let's see, there's a few other announcements uh, in panels. Uh, I didn't get to all of these. Uh, the folks at Circle uh, announced a kind of a regulatory-friendly tether uh, mm-hmm. called the USDC. Uh, so that's something to to watch for. Uh, fits into their, I think, in their emerging strategy around their Poloniex acquisition and and how they're, they're they've always tried to be. Uh, regulatory friendly or regulatory first in what they're trying to do. So <laughs> I'd like to see how that evolves. Um, mm-hmm. And I think on the enterprise side, one thing that I that I wanted to highlight and give kudos to is that uh, Axoni and Clearmatics announced uh, an example of, of cross-chain interoperability, which is, is a big word that folks are uh, always uh, focused on. Mm-hmm. And that I thought was very well done for for an announcement to cut through a lot of the the noise to show some signal and yeah. two uh, very sharp companies, two very smart guys that, that are that are driving that. So uh, kudos to them. Um, and uh, actually, for us, we're we're exploring a different kind of interoperability with the Axony team here in New York. We're scheduling drinks with them uh, in the summer. That's so how that's how you interoperability. Yes. <laughs> that's great. Um, yeah, well, we, we didn't even touch on your, your panel. I was waiting like for to you discuss? to ask me, oh, Catherine. Oh, Todd, yes. can you please talk about your panel? There's so much demand. All of the listeners have been waiting very patiently. I really messed up my delivery there. That's okay. But can you just tell us, what were you guys talking about? Deep tier finance panel. Yeah, so you can imagine uh, a panel called deep tier finance. Uh, a so Crypto heavy <laughs> conference. I was a little worried there would just be uh, us and some tumbleweeds. But we got a pretty good turnout. Uh, and uh, it was it was a, it was a turned out to be an engaging conversation. Uh, yep. I think that will be posted soon as well. Uh, as is inevitable on any panel, especially we had there's four of us uh, up there. The uh, the the, uh, the talking points that I I had, or really the subject matter that I had prepared, uh, mm-hmm. it's only so much airtime you can get. So my apologies to Alyssa DiCaprio who helped me prepare for that panel. But we're going to be <laughs> we're going to be following up with a with a blog post, uh, I believe, in you know within the week or so that goes cool. into some of that more detail. But deep tier finance was it was it was specifically around uh, you know that this concept of how blockchains can help uh, organize uh, around a supply chain especially deep tier is those you know I guess tier two three four uh, mm-hmm. the gentleman from uh, from Foxconn who was on on the panel with me mentioned that they have something like tier 18 or something like that oh, interesting. of your your supplier supplier or your supplier 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 as well Mm-hmm. Uh, and very, very small participants within a really large value chain that really are somewhat disenfranchised. Yeah. And how can how can the application blockchain technology help bring them uh, into some coordination without having to actually coordinate it? So um, that was it was a, it was a very good um, it, was a, it was a very good topic to get into, but we didn't have a chance to get into too deeply. Yeah. Uh, but it, it does it extend upon a theme, and this is something that we announced recently, uh, where where there's 
where we have shown integration to uh, SAP's S4 HANA uh, mm -hmm. around their ERP suite. Uh, so this is something that the Commerce Bank, which is one of our stakeholders, has done. Uh, I've written about this before around, you know, this is the, the corporate blockchain wave. There's going to be more participants coming in, but the only way we can bring more participants in, whether these are corporates or, uh, you know, small enterprises, we need to do more and more work to make blockchains invisible to them. Yeah. And I think that was a topic of the panel. We'll be talking about this in the blog post. But you know, what that means we need to be integrating into existing systems. We need to be integrating into their existing workflow so they don't have to be following the hundred announcements at a blockchain conference. Yeah. It can just help uh, it can just solve the problems that they have in front of them today without having without the need for them to to really change their day to day. Uh, yeah. so that is hopefully on the horizon. Um there's gonna be a lot more work done. Not just by us, obviously, but while the as the large enterprise technology companies are starting to get more interested in this space, mm -hmm. more and more of this will start happening, and and that's only good for democratizing uh, the access to yeah. uh, financial services, to credit, um, and also to the new technology as well. Well, now no one has to watch your panel. Well, <laughs> I'm kidding. They still do. I'm because, only joking. You have to because no, that was a that was a good summary of kind of what you want to get across. And but. one and so one last thing on that is there was a, towards the end there was a conversation around around networks and uh, mm -hmm. there's this another theme at the events which was around the enterprise world and the crypto world and and people use that as sort of the black and white. So there's mm -hmm. the enterprise side and there's a crypto side and one is permission and the other one is open. Uh, one is old and the other is new. Um, yeah. One is not cool. <laughs> one is cool. cool. Uh, maybe that one might be true. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but it, 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 what came up in the in the panel and I think was picked up by, by Coindesk and a few others was I, I mentioned that we actually are very, very focused on open networks. Mm-hmm. And, and now the context around that is that we all know that 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 open networks and removing the friction for participants to join networks, and this is going back to this, you know, the, the small enterprise. That's those are the models that win over yeah. time. You need to have that to be able to bring the right ecosystem and the right community. So I think the enterprise side gets sort of painted with a word called uh, permissioned permission ledger, which in some ways can can make sense. But the, the way we look at it is these are these, we have the potential to support and implement open networks but with known participants so you you know or you kyc the participants in the network mm -hmm. um but you have open access for many more uh participants than you have today because yeah. going back to uh i mentioned before we can democratize access to financial services uh and that's that's a big part of what drives us here and and I think there, it kind of then obviously in anything like with a panel with any kind of debate the nuance gets lost, yeah. but um, we're we are very excited to be moving uh, very 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 strongly into that uh, area. But we in order to do that, it needs to be able to be on a solid foundation, and especially when we're doing high value transaction, it has to be on a solid regulatory foundation. So that's what we're focused on. That's what a lot of our I wouldn't say a lot. That's what a handful of our peers are focused on. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that, that as the market's evolving, more and more people are understanding that the, 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 the gap between the two worlds isn't that large. And this isn't about everything running into uh, sort of uh, crypto world. But mm -hmm. it's, it's around taking what are the aspects of either side that we can implement 
to solve problems for the end customers that we have. Yeah, well, it sounds like it was a pretty interesting blockchain week. I guess so. In retrospect, it was. maybe Totally. Maybe it was the initial shock that I had to wear off first before I could uh, uh, get my head around everything. Probably. But, uh, yes, it was. Uh, it did did feel a little bit like it was a 1980s Soviet breadline when I showed up at the conference. <laughs> I remember uh, Richard Gendel Brown, our CTO, had it messaged everyone in the company Slack saying, uh, who's watching this live, you can see it better than me, because he couldn't get into a lot of the panels. Yeah, it's kind true. of a bummer. It's um, chaos. Well, you know, there's a lot of interest in when you have uh, an organizer that was was really printing lots of tickets. Uh, yeah. It was, uh, it was a little bit tough. Maybe they should find some technology to, to prevent that in the future. <laughs> oh, I see what you did there. It's a blockchain. What? All right. Well, thank you so much again, Todd. I, I'm very interested in what this event will look like next year, especially considering the growth from, from this year and last year. Uh, I look forward to Vegas next year. Totally. I'll come with you. Okay. <laughs> That's weird. I'm just going <laughs> to... I can end on the one <laughs> That's just weird. <laughs> I am here with Tim Swanson. For this interview, I thought it would also be fun to bring in Kevin Rudder from the research team into the studio uh, because I like their light banter and I thought it would be fun to record. So don't prove me wrong, guys. So Tim used to work here at R3 and now he started his own uh, tech advisory firm called Post Oak Labs. Before I let Kevin take control with some of the questions, Tim, can you give us your 30-second-ish blockchain story and how you got to where you are today? Great. No, I'd like to thank my parents for... <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, no, it's... Uh, by the way, it's great to be back here. It's good to see you too, uh, Catherine. It's been a little while. We're so excited to have you in the office. <laughs> no, it's funny. It's uh, seeing seeing all these uh, old friendly faces. Um, and then uh, eating some Chipotle and, and Todd making fun of me for that. So, uh, for <laughs> those of you, yeah, for those of you, for those of you who don't know, I, I do like I do like some Chipotle. So, um, and Subway, I, <laughs> and, and Subway, basically anything that costs less than six dollars. So, <laughs> the um, uh, short story is I was uh, out in China for a number of years, and towards my time there, um, I was uh, a mailing list I was on. Uh, some people there convinced me to. to Take a closer look at Bitcoin. I'd, I was already familiar with it from from stories I'd read from several years before, uh, and I um, had free electricity at the time, so I went ahead and built a, a really small, simple mine, <coughs> mining machine um, in my apartment uh, in, in sweltering summer. It was towards the end of summer. It was like Novemberish. Actually, I guess it was fall, uh, right before the first happening, and uh, I had that running and. Uh, Long story short is uh, I ended up uh, giving away a bunch of uh, coins I had mined, both Bitcoin and Litecoin, which in retrospect probably wasn't the best <laughs> financial idea. But uh, no, so I ended up moving uh, back to the U.S. Uh, to the West Coast. My wife uh, basically got transferred. She's a she's a chip designer herself, actually, um, and uh, we uh, she she allowed me to uh, do uh, uh, gave me a leash to do some consulting and some research, and uh, I took a compilation of of notes from interviews with uh, investors and entrepreneurs back in early 2014 into some books, uh, a couple different books, and then uh, ended up bumping into uh, the folks, fine folks here at R3 at the end of that year. Uh, they had a round table out in the Bay Area. Uh, in fact, there's a, there a guy um, at one of these cryptocurrency exchanges that actually connected me 
with Todd originally. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, yeah, been been close to the orbit for a while. I was originally an advisor, then one of the first employees, and uh, back to being uh, you guys. You guys are a client of mine, so uh, <laughs> I still I still uh, still talk to the team, and it's great to be back here in the office. <laughs> well, we're so happy to have you back, and I know you are still a part of the R three family, and you always will be. Uh, but can you talk a little bit more about Post Oak Labs and what you guys are doing? Sure. Yeah. So uh, I. Uh, basically set this entity up in uh, September last year as a way of uh, basically engaging with a variety of different clients. So about a third of them are doing enterprise-related activities. So when I say enterprise, I mean uh, folks who are uh, trying to build solutions or applications for, uh, typically it's financial institutions, but anyone who's like a Fortune 500 kind of company. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other two-thirds are, are usually uh, early-stage tech companies, so although they could be any, any size. It just happens that that's what it is right now. Uh, and they're trying to explore usually the fintech world uh, and specifically around, I hate saying the B word, but blockchains. And uh, <laughs> I, I hear that a million times a day at this stage. Uh, and, then, uh, and then, unfortunately, they, they, they've all been captivated by cryptocurrencies for, as a financing mechanism, so I have to try and convince them not to do that. Uh, but anyway, so I, I spend a lot of time with stakeholder management, uh, walking through the landscape and uh, and then connecting them with uh, folks I think are pretty good. So uh, typically people who do regulatory engagement or developers. I don't actually build out products myself. So as somebody mm-hmm. on Reddit would say, I'm, I'm an ideas guy. No, I'm joking. But no, <laughs> uh, seriously, though, uh, happy to happy to connect people uh, with, with, with good people in the space. There's very few, unfortunately, but uh, that's, that's what I do. I will say at least in the enterprise space and probably maybe even the broader cryptocurrency sp- space, I do think you're probably the best connected guy at least from what i've i've seen so if you don't know swanson you don't know anybody oh thanks for the kind words <laughs> he, he didn't read a cue card with that written down anywhere either no but i i, I do have qu- tough questions later so i'm just trying to be friendly right now <laughs> okay well before i let kevin ask ask the tough ones i have a million dollar question for you tim if you had 120 bitcoin to invest it's a million dollars by the way <laughs> at least right it's a million now. dollar question yeah would you invest in Dogecoin? Did I say that right? No, you because said it totally wrong. Do- because close. Dogecoin. Dogecoin? Yeah, yeah. it's close, though. Because I was joking before about it being people calling it doggy coin, and then I got it in my head. Anyways, okay. Dogecoin? Yep. Close enough. Or lizard coin. Ooh. And what is lizard coin? Because I think it's hilarious. I just found out what lizard coin was, and I'm shocked that I didn't know before. Oh, wow. That. That's both uh, funny and sad at the same time. Uh, so number one, I don't give financial <laughs> investment advice, so I'm not going to answer that. Specific one of them's question. a fake coin. One but, of them's not real. Well, no, I'm sure there is a lizard coin at the same. So just for, for listeners looking, uh, I'd go back through. <laughs> if, you, if you have a chance, go through the uh, old R3 blog from April 1st, 2016. Uh, <laughs> the exact date. Yes, because it was it was an April Fool's joke. So Vitalik, uh, who we collaborated with on a couple different papers, uh, was visiting San Francisco, and then an uh, old colleague of ours, Tim Grant, and I. We uh, we did a photo in uh, with with Vitalik with an empty piece of paper, um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was uh, at a hotel in actually yeah, in San Francisco itself. And then later on, we went through and used Photoshop to put different things there. And uh, Vitalik actually made a whole post too on Lizardcoin and R3 Alliance or something like that. And if you zoom in, he I think he brings in some like conspiracy theory like Masonic stuff or Illuminati. It's really funny. So yeah, it's just <laughs> a, a non-existent thing at the time. I think there is a Lizardcoin, so that's why I can't say oh. whether or not. Yeah, if there's if there's an interesting name of an animal, people have probably made a coin about it at this stage. Or I guess in this case, a reptile. Interesting. All right. Yeah. I guess the more more cold blooded the animal is, the, the the more you raise. So you can, I guess, <laughs> you know, if it's uh, if it's a lizard or a sn- maybe if you go a snake, you get an extra three hundred million in market cap or something. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. 
You know, I don't know. Yeah. Just speculating, though. I haven't really checked the stats. What's your Binance referral code, Kevin? Come on, just tell us. Uh, I can't say it on air. <laughs> Sorry, Tim. Um, all right, all Kevin, pass it over to yeah, you. Yeah, should we go some, to the juicy questions? Okay, so Tim. juicy. Well, not that juicy. Just curious. So a lot of ICOs out there. Um, I'm, I'm sure you're keeping track. Do you have a favorite one from the last year? Uh, number one, I, yeah, I, I, I do keep track of stuff, but I, not for financial purposes, more, more on the research side to see if anyone's doing anything interesting. Um, you know, it's a fun fact that you and, you and I uh, kind of, well, I, I wrote that paper uh, because for internal education uses uh, a year ago, uh, yes. and I kind of broke it down into three things, OCOs, ECOs, and ICOs. I don't want to go on the air about talking about the differences at this stage. Maybe that's worth revisiting in, in long-form format. But, uh, yeah, uh, I actually, I'll throw some cold water on the whole idea. Like, it, I'm... I'm not opposed to people trying to raise capital in creative ways, uh, but and, and I don't like VCs in general because it's of the, of the way the, the, this network works. I mean, I understand the reason why they do. So I fully empathize with people desiring to raise that. But uh, yeah, ICOs typically create the wrong alignment. Um, you end up with like thousands of retail investors who have very short term horizons trying to with one goal, they want the coin to go up, right? They don't care so much about the utilities. So, I mean, as far as like what project do I like? I mean, there's some interesting ideas, but I think that in the long run, they're going to run into this uh, stakeholder management problem to where you have a lot of angry people on Reddit and Twitter trying to force you to do certain things, which is not necessarily the goal of the utility of the, whatever you're trying to create. Uh, so, yeah, I'm not going to sit here and unfortunately shill for <laughs> lizard coin or something like that. Gotcha. I do kind of empathize. Maybe empathize isn't the right word, but like, uh, yeah, maybe it is. Uh, with like early stage, like getting early stage ideas, get, being like reducing the barriers to entry to, to, to getting funding in some way, right? But maybe this isn't the way to do it. No, absolutely. And, and, and if you've spent much time in the Bay Area, I've, I've lived over there for about four and a half years now, um, there are some really good, uh, genuinely uh, help, helpful uh, VCs. It's just the the whole process becomes very much a kind of a boys club. You only could get intros into the, the people based on who you know and not necessarily what you are or, or what you're building. And um, so I fully appreciate, quote unquote, the uh, ability to, to pool new capital. But what ends up happening is um, that everyone threw the baby out with the, th- the bathwater. Like Token Fest is going on as we speak. And very few people there are really interested in doing disclosures. Like the whole purpose of doing ICOs <laughs> is to not be compliant with the disclosure process. And so you end up uh, attracting fraud. I, I think the, the joke I made uh, a few months ago is uh, you basically are the, the supply of fraud will reach the demand for fraud. So uh, not, not to say that you don't see this in other areas, especially those that even are regulated, but uh, at least you have legal recourse and you're not like uh, really hurting people on fixed incomes. Like when you go after grandmas, which is kind of what's happening right now, you people pitching the elderly because they're easy targets. That's where I, I would think that at least from my own values, I think that's just deplorable, but people <laughs> people are okay with doing that so long as they get a well, Lambo. With exchanges, you just don't see who's on the other side of that trade, right? So like poor grandma's sitting there knitting you know, trying to get some family time, and you know she's getting she got hosed for Thanksgiving. And it's so. not necessarily ICOs themselves. We, we saw this with cryptocurrencies back in 2014, 2015. If you if you talk to some of the, OG, the quote unquote OG guys at some of these exchanges who are now retired, but uh, they'll tell you stories of of. of Kind of basically elderly people showing up with bags of cash asking to buy like some altcoin uh, back mm-hmm. in back in those days. So it's not necessarily an ICO phenomenon. It just we, we just see it magnified because of the, the irrational exuberance. Yeah, and I, I mentioned this to you earlier. People have to be accountable for their own money at the same time, but consumer preferences do also exist for a reason. Yeah. Well, so I don't, I don't want to sound like a total shill for the establishment because that's what everyone tweets at me. Oh, you're such a corporate shill. But like, there's been <laughs> several hundred years of of 
of financial industry uh, you know, ups and downs in terms of formalizing structures around this for a reason. And there's a reason why, for example, uh, you know, former colleague uh, Clark Thompson like hammered home uh, PFMI, uh, Principles for Financial Market Infrastructure. The reason this is a really important is you want to reduce risks, uh, especially uh, on, on the settlement side, and uh, not have, you know, uh, things in flight that are worth billions of dollars just completely collapse and not having anyone accountable. So yeah, having legal recourse and accountability is extremely paramount, and that seems to not be as important in the, the world of quote-unquote ICOs as it is here in the enterprise side. Additionally, in the enterprise side, like the standards for operational risk are extremely high, as you know. For example, CLS has been running for I don't know how long, but you know, there's very little, very few issues ever. And the same with RTGS systems. Like, so if we're, if we're going to um, seriously talk about potentially in, at some time replacing that, the technology needs to be from an operational standpoint. And that's a really good point. Like, uh, if, if you see these people who've maybe raised 50, 100, 200 million, whatever, whatever this amount is on, in these ICOs, it's not like that, that mix allows them to get around that requirements gathering process. I remember when uh, the folks at, in London were putting together Corda, and it wasn't even called Corda, uh, Richard and that team out there, they were going through this really, well, I hate to say it, it was boring requirements gathering process and sitting down with the, the stakeholders and saying, hey, what do you actually need? And they, they put together a bunch of papers. A few of those have been released. Uh, but the bottom line is, is all these institutions, they have counterparties, they have stakeholders, and if you can't check all those boxes, it won't be turned on. So even if you raise $200 million in ICO, you can't get around that requirements gathering process if you still want to serve enterprises or regulated institutions. Interesting point on, on that. So like, I, I guess a lot of the headlines that we do see like in the news with, with different POCs, you know, I, you, I guess one of the things that helps ground a lot of these ideas is just asking what platform they're building. Like, What's the architecture behind the platform? I feel like often some of these headlines for what people claim to be an enterprise idea, they're still using some form of, of public broadcast architecture, you know, where, where, where people are sharing information broadly with, with everyone that, that's on the, on the ledger. Uh, like, what's your view? I mean, do you think that POCs in the enterprise space are beginning to consider data privacy regulations and, and conventions and, and move away from that? Or like... You know, are, are people are, are like basically for all these headlines? Are people really considering the data privacy issues that that enterprises really care about? Uh, you get a lot of uh, you know <laughs> uh, speaking time at events for sure. Uh, I'm not necessarily the right guy to talk to. I mean, you guys have Guy and a few other like solution architect kind of people here that could that can speak to that specifically. But um, if, if you can't solve for that, the these touchy issues that people have been talking about for three years now at these events, then people won't, uh, the institutions won't use it, or they'll just use small amounts that they're allowed to. Because, like, for example, GDPR, it, it activates in, like, a week, um, yeah. and the fines are very large, irrespective of if you're a nonprofit or individual or large enterprise. So uh, it, it, maybe GDPR changes for some reason. I'm not saying it, it will, but uh, it, it, none of these, you know, quote-unquote, public blockchains or anarchic chains were built for that, uh, around that set of regulations. I remember I was at uh, Deconomy six weeks ago, uh, and I was giving a presentation on it, and Vitalik was in the audience. I was like, Vitalik, did you, did you build Ethereum around GDPR? And he's like, no. I mean, not, 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 not trying to put words in his mouth, but we did a paper with uh, Jana Moser, right, uh, 18 months ago. I February, believe. yeah, February. A little ahead of the curve on that one, Tim. Yeah. We, yeah that was a great paper. Yeah, it was good. And you guys just put it out there in the public domain recently, too. So I liked it. Uh, and, but uh, bottom line, if, if, if the readers or if the listeners are, are, are looking to kind of uh, get just one little area of how, how can you build uh, for purpose around data privacy, 
uh, yeah, the, the fine folks here uh, with uh, Jana um, as the subject matter expert. She's a she's a lawyer from from Germany, and obviously we know that Germany has some of the strictest data privacy laws. So if you're interested in seeing what some of those challenges could be, and again, this, just because there's challenges doesn't mean there isn't an opportunity or doesn't mean it can't be surmounted. It's just <laughs> you don't want to get fined in the process. It's not like the regulators are going to disappear. I mean, they may take some time to be f- figure out that you're doing something wrong, but um, that's just the way they, they have budgets. <laughs> and yeah. it's not like they're just, they may be lizard men like myself, but, uh, you know, <laughs> occasionally they do go outside and get warmed up and their blood going. So uh, question on cryptocurrencies. So do do we do you see like, say, Fortune 500 companies uh, like holding cryptocurrencies on their balance sheets? Like eventually, do you, and this is tough because it's tough to answer, but like time frame, do you think that's something that that is potentially going to happen soon? I, I mean, I know Overstock, for example, accepts uh, cryptocurrencies for certain type of things, but like do you think like like Fortune 500 companies will have these things on their balance sheets anytime soon, or you know is is there is there a potential that maybe there's broad enough acceptance that they begin to to accept them in the next three years, say for example? Sure. Uh, I, I mean, it, it kind of pains me in the sense that like uh, I, I say pains me in the sense that uh, <laughs> these these institutions are only going to hold it because they think that the speculative value is going to go up. It's not like they're using it for, because they need censorship resistant cash or you know digital cash or whatever this is. Like not for the original reason. No, not for not at all for the the purposes cited in the original white paper or whatever. But um, yeah. uh, and same thing with ether. I mean, maybe they stockpile it because they think it's going to go up, but not because they're going to you know use it a bunch of DApps. So maybe they do. I could be wrong. Uh, but mm-hmm. um, I was uh, at uh, consensus for the past three days, the event here in New York, and. Um, I, I talked to a couple of different people that are setting up the desks at these large banks, and they want to hold custody of it so they could build financial products around it. Uh, if they were just trading at OTC, uh, then they would only receive, you know, you know, the ability to get that spread effectively. Whereas if they actually held it in custody, then they could build a, a variety of different financial products around it. I don't know how long it'll take them to, to build that out, but rather than, than using these small little startups in the Bay Area that quote unquote hold or custodians or act as an intermediary, they, they could take it all on if you want to say, you call it a balance sheet. I don't know exactly if they're going to put it in a special purpose vehicle or whatever, but um, I, and I, I, don't, I don't know how long they'll hold that, if they'll be long it, short it, or, or what. Uh, and they're going to trade, at least according to the people I spoke with, they'll be running these desks. Uh, they're going to be you know, <laughs> trading more than one coin. They, they, they kept on saying how all these, uh, they would be approached by all these maximalists, these Bitcoin maximalists, saying you should just trade Bitcoin and kill the whole market. And they're like, dude, mm-hmm. we're, we're, we just want to trade stuff. <laughs> we're, we're a bank. We're going to trade things that, that make money for us. Uh, so w- whether or not they'll end up trading you know, Tim Coin or Lizard Coin, um, Tim we'll, Coin. Yeah, we'll see if there's an allocation. I'm not sure if there's any. I, I, I think it's I'm 100% sold out on that one. I do know, like the at least in the Q4 of last year and then the beginning of this year, just the volumes were so much that a lot of people did get attracted to at least the market making side of the side of things. Um, I, I'm interested to see whether non-financial companies eventually will will will, will accept these for payments in some way. Well, Morgan Stanley did a paper um, or put out a paper. They have a regular uh, research note, and they found that. Uh, actually, the amount of Fortune 500 companies that accepted cryptocurrencies uh, has declined over the past uh, year. Um, and that's, again, uh, for the listeners, if you're interested, I have a website. I've posted stuff. I've actually stopped posting data because nobody posts giving me data in the first place of numbers.com. Why not? Why don't they give you data? Because no, uh, there's, cause there's none, consumer, <laughs> consumer adoption is not taking place. I mean, maybe maybe <laughs> you have price mania going on, but like if you actually look at daily active users or monthly active users, nobody publishes those, num- those numbers because Number one, partly because of competitive reasons, they don't want the competitors to know. But number two, uh, genuinely speaking, uh, or generally speaking, 
the these quote unquote retail fa- retail focused uh, or retail facing uh, use cases aren't seeing the adoption that all of them were saying two years ago, three years ago. Uh, we see that with remittances, um, a variety of other things. We don't have we unfortunately have time to go through all that right now. But uh, yeah, happy to talk offline about some of that uh, the challenges there. I will say the user growth that we've seen with some of these exchanges, like the people that have signed up, is pretty ridiculous. I, I think I saw a statistic that. There's more people signed up for GDAX or Coinbase than one of the major like stock uh, brokers. I don't know. Have you seen that? Yeah, statistic? yeah. Coinbase had the most popular app in the App Store, uh, b- bigger than any of the other banks or anything like that. But again, people aren't going on Coinbase to buy it because they're using it to pay some bill or something like that. Yeah. They're buying because yeah, they, they what money. they actually what they typically do is they they send it off sh- offshore. They send it outside uh, of the U.S. to buy IC- into ICOs, mm-hmm. and then they you know sell sell those on another exchange that lists the ICOs like Binance or whatever. I'm I'm not I'm giving you an example. I'm not saying a specific coin or anything. And then and they, they uh, move the money back to the Coinbase wallet. Uh, funnily enough, and I can not to pick on Coinbase too much because there's all these other exchanges to do the same thing. It, it, it violates the terms of service to do that to gambling websites. Like uh, they actually yeah. fired an employee at Coinbase because he was uh, sending money to Chinese gambling sites uh, and moving it back to his Coinbase account. Uh, but they don't do that. They don't. They don't crack down on ICOs, even though that's clearly well. Some of them seem very clear to be securities, or at least unregistered securities. But again, that's a whole other conversation, and I'm sure I'll get a lot of hate mail for just saying that. That's okay. <laughs> uh, you can deal with the hate, Tim. Mm. Uh, let's escape crypto Narnia for like. Uh, let's go back to the enterprise world. Uh, so projects in enterprise space you've been paying attention to most recently. Oh, like put me on the spot. Yeah, I, and again, yeah. I mean, feel free. You know, no pressure here. But well, actually, uh, I think this uh, tees up uh, on the trade finance stuff. I just saw a lot of stuff recently. The trade finance and supply chain. And, 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 and I think maybe reader, or sorry, the listeners may be interested. Why is trade finance that thing that nobody talked about? Like when when R three when I, I remember talking to David and Todd in in very late twenty fourteen, early twenty fifteen. No one really was speaking about that. Everyone was talking about settlement of uh, clearing and settlement of FX and stuff like that. And maybe that still becomes some kind of use case that is adopted. But uh, the trade finance part, and I think you guys talked about this uh, on one of your your podcasts, maybe two two episodes ago, is because you don't need central bank digital currency. Yeah. And since we're all waiting for a central bank to actually issue that, um, in the meantime, you could still uh, supposedly, at least the pitch is, is you could leverage the ability to for, for everyone on, on that network, if you could convince all the suppliers uh, to, to be part of that workflow. Again, I'm not part of any of those uh, direct uh, pitches. I know there's been a number of RFPs, but the long story short is you don't have to depend on as much regulatory action um, in the sense you don't have to create a new asset, this CBDC. Yeah, it's interesting. How, I mean, it's kind of like in capital markets, people say, like, improve clearing for certain assets first before sometimes settlement, at least in, in some use cases. And I think there's a similar gains to be had from better coordination just with information and agreeing upon transactions without having to create a new, you know, settlement rail that sometimes there's legal and regulatory, you know, KYC, all this stuff that you have to you kind of deal with. Well, some of the, uh, just so um Trying to be kind of even-handed. Of course. Uh, there was a counter-argument uh, from Jimmy Song. He was on a panel with uh, Amber and, and Joseph. Yeah, uh, wow. He was, uh, it was a wild cowboy show. Yeah, he was kind of a kind of a jerk. I'll be honest. Like, like they, they were being they were being nice guys, and he was just kind of going after him. Um, and he was he's a Bitcoin maximalist. He was saying, look, you uh, you don't need supply chain stuff. Everyone could just use like paper slips and stuff like that. Like, no, there's like digitizing 
any of this stuff or auto, trying to automate and digitize it uh, can bring utility and uh, inefficiencies and lowering costs. We, we see that in just about any other industry. Yeah, we can make this episode very long. I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but I do want to talk a little bit about consensus because that also, yeah. especially because that, that panel um, with Amber and Jimmy Song and um, Joe, Lubin. Joe Lubin was pretty much blasting throughout our were office. Building, were you in the building for that, Tim? I was in the lobby, You're probably the lobby? like uh, down low with my hat and I had my little funny glasses so no one could tell who I was. In the building That's a real type. famous person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, everyone, it's me, Catherine Rudder. I have a podcast. People are like, we don't care. <laughs> yeah. We want Swanson. He's got 14K followers. That's all we care about. I'm oh, sorry. I might have shortchanged you. I think you're about 14K. Are you? I, I don't keep you're, track. Don't keep stats. Nah, I don't <laughs> keep stats. <laughs> you're like a daily chart. <laughs> I would if I, was, if I had that money. I think I have 68. That's all right. Got to start, <laughs> I think gotta I have start 68. somewhere. <laughs> Rome wasn't built in a day. Uh, yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Sure. Any other thoughts? You're right. Sorry, Catherine, how about how you guys? Just no. I well, on, on I was just wondering about yeah. oh consensus. Well, actually, Kevin and I were talking about this before you came on. Um, so, what was your favorite color Lamborghini mm-hmm. outside of consensus? It was the orange saw? one. I'm pretty sure that was uh, yeah the front one. Uh, that, although so it was three in the morning, and then <laughs> they were all rented. Just for people to know, that's how pathetic. Some no, no offense if you rented. Actually, no, it is offense. <laughs> they are fully offense to you for for renting Lambos at a Bitcoin. <laughs> How'd you find out they were running? By the way, uh, so many people talked about it. Uh, it's got the inside yeah. scoop. Yeah, I forgot for a second. Yeah, Tim knows <laughs> But then someone else actually showed up in like their own Lamborghini, and he was just like kind of creepy there. But anyways, that's all in the conversation. Posers, I got the window. Yeah, well, it was like the following day actually. Oh, um, gotcha. And uh, yeah, so I mean, yeah, it's, it was funny. There was people dressed up like the Statue of Liberty lady. Uh, there was uh, inside the conference. No, out, outside there was like oh. a whole bunch of like it was like a big circus. Like uh, yeah. one of the one of the employees from the organization called it the Cir- Cirque de Consensus, or you know, the yeah. Circus of, cons- uh, of of coin dust, because. Um, you had 8,500 attendees who paid, and then you had grifters like myself hanging out in the lobby. <laughs> you had people handling out pamphlets. You had uh, you had choirs. You had this whole fake. Uh, it was called Bankers Against Bitcoin. We saw that. Yeah, if yeah you we saw pictures. The, if you go to the actual website, it's run by uh, Genesis Mining, which actually received a cease and desist order from the South Carolina AG about two months ago for running a thing, uh, basically unregistered securities, the way the, the way this cloud mining worked. So yeah, you had this. Yeah. It's, it's, it was like fake uh, protest running around for a couple of days. I'm sure that they drummed up lots of interest in whatever totally. thing they're going. All right, Tim. So final question is, what was your favorite research paper at R3? Ooh, that was tough. Uh, so we did a couple papers with Vitalik, which were really interesting. Those were very interesting. Um, I, I'm, I'm kind of partial to the confidentiality paper uh, that we collaborated with Danny, uh, Danny Yang and Zuko uh, from Zcash on. It was very comprehensive. Um, yeah, that one's gotten a lot, and that's relative to, I mean, not relative to our other papers saying it's like better than our other, but that one's been particularly, uh, I think, well read and, and appreciated. But honestly, the GDPR thing from, from Yana, I know mentioned it earlier, um, I, I would put that in the top one or two for sure, because uh, not only was it fairly early, like nobody was even was saying so GDPR, early. but in February uh, of last year, are you kidding me? Yeah. Who uh, was talking about it then? Well, that's my point. Like, she <laughs> yeah. was, we had the, she and our team had the foresight to like be considering this. Uh, and the funny thing is, I was just talking to a large consult, uh, consult a guy who is a works at one of these large consultancies, and we got into a, a debate on Monday night. And he's like, "All these things are GDPR compliant. Don't worry about it." And I was like, "All right, well, good luck, dude. The fines are coming out maybe in a week." So yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so uh, I think it's worth uh, relooking at all the papers you guys have uh, put together over the years. I've enjoyed it, and uh, thank you guys for for having me. And uh, 
Yay, thank you so much for joining. So I want our listeners to follow you. So you have a blog and obviously you're on you're on social media. What are all of your, your sites? So they know I know them, but I want you to say <laughs> Sure. So I I kept it to simple branding. Ofnumbers.com is my site and uh, of numbers is my Twitter handle. Uh, feel free to, to ping me. I, I promise that uh, I will I will not say anything snarky to you directly unless you say something really funny to me first. If you if you say something mean, I'll just mute you. So to Tim's yeah. credit, he is one of the few unbiased people in the in the space, right? Like he's going to, he's going to be honest. He's not yeah. like tarnished by uh, coins, and that's very rare. And that's why your your voice is, is always appreciated. So thanks for coming on, Tim. Good to see you, Kevin. See you later, Catherine. Bye. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you have any comments or questions, suggestions for the podcast, uh, please let me know at social at r3.com. And I'm always welcome to feedback on LinkedIn so you can follow me on LinkedIn and message me. I love to hear the feedback from everyone. Be sure to rate and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. I just realized that we are approved for uh, listening on Spotify and I'm so excited. So please follow us on Spotify, iTunes, whatever your favorite podcast app is. We are there or we should be. Thanks so much, everyone.